guys look great from here. Yeah. It's kind of a change being up here, but it, it's good to be able to actually see, especially some of the people towards the back, being able to just connect with you guys. You guys are beautiful. Did you know that? Sorry, I just, just wanted you to know. Just wanted you to know. You are God's handiwork. You are his masterpiece. He is molding and shaping you. Um, it's an awesome work that, that he does. And I hope that he continues that work in our hearts today um, through his word as well as through this worship. We're in this series called Red Letters. We're, we're eight weeks in. It's a long haul, isn't it? Yeah, we're going all the way to Easter, um, but, but I hope that as we go through these teachings of Christ that you just get so much out of, of these red letters, of, of Jesus' words. We're doing this because specifically we want to take the time just to hit the pause button on what we hear and what we think we know about Jesus, about his teachings, about what religion um, has told us, and really to be able to just kind of create space to rethink, create space to, to look at God's word fresh. And so we want to approach these, these words with that freshness and just let them impact our hearts and our minds. Every person that encountered Jesus, every, every person that we read about that had that face-to-face interaction that actually heard these words for the first time, they had some kind of, of reaction to his words. Some of them, they were surprised. You know, they were just amazed. They heard these things and they're like, what are these things that this guy is saying? Like, this, this goes against so many things that the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious, religious leaders have taught us. Some of them, they were, they were filled with despair. Man, this is, these are hard sayings. I don't, know how to, I don't really know how to process this. Some of them were just appalled. Some of them were filled with hope for change. And some of them, they took that hope and they transferred it to belief and they saw miracles in their life. They experienced physical healing, spiritual healing, emotional healing. And some of them, they heard these words and their reaction was, you know what, this is incompatible with my life and I just need to kill it. We need to kill him. And so they did. And so there's a lot of different responses to these words of Christ, these, these red letters. This morning, hopefully you don't feel the need to kill me as, as we talk about them. If you do, um, just go outside. Um, appreciate that. But nobody that experienced Jesus was able to leave with the idea, the conception in their mind that, oh yeah, Jesus was just a good teacher. Like, he didn't give them that option, right? They may have come to him with that idea. Oh, Jesus, he's a good teacher. Let's go hear what he has to say. But when they left him, it was so much more. It was something that, that had reached into their very hearts and changed them. So several weeks ago, we started out, and Pastor Mark started the teaching with uh, the parable of the soils. And so we talked about these different kinds of soils, and really we came away from that with this, this responsibility that we have to be farmers, to cultivate the soil, the soil of our own hearts, the soil of creating space in our lives and making room for growth, and also cultivating the soil in other people's lives, to literally be the, the tangible hand of Christ in the lives of the people around us, to love our neighbor as ourselves. 
which is equally important to loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So we started out with the soils, and then just a few weeks back, Pastor Eric gave this teaching about fruit. Remember that? Fruit and, and this, this growing process. And, and one of the things that he mentioned there in bearing fruit and reproducing how the seed was in the fruit, one of the things that he mentioned was pruning. And he didn't really get into it in great detail, but one of the things that he mentioned with this pruning was, was that one of the ways that we can prune is by fasting. Now, fasting is something that I don't think is, is a common practice for us today. I don't have a lot of conversations about fasting. Every once in a while, um, I would say in the, in the six and a half years I've been here, I've probably had a, literally a handful of people come up to me and say, hey, what, what is fasting about? And so as we were going through this teaching, and, and really as we, sat, as we sat at the beginning of Red Letters, and what do we need to talk about? I just thought it was something that we really needed to do. And we're going to see why when we get into these scriptures in Matthew chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 9. Some of Jesus' words. And they basically paint the picture where Jesus says, My disciples will fast. They will. And so it... It asks a question for us, all right, well, what, is, what does fasting mean? And really what we want to talk about in looking at these scriptures is why. We're not going to talk about how. We're not going to spend a lot of time with the how. And that's really for you to decide what the how is. Hearing the why, hearing what Jesus' words are, hearing what he, what he desires to do through this thing called fasting, then you have to go, all right, well, how does that apply to my life? And so on the back of your fridge fold, you have a going deeper. And there's a community conversation there that can kind of look at some more scriptures. And, and you can do that with your growth group or, you know, with some close friends or, or loved ones. And then uh, there's also a link there for you to kind of go even deeper. And there's a link um, to an online section where you can ask a lot more questions and look at some more scriptures. Uh, and just challenge you, just, just use those tools that we've, we've given you there. Fasting is something that in our minds, I think a lot of times, we think is like intrinsically spiritual or just intrinsically religious. It's something that really spiritual people do and it kind of freaks us out and we're not sure really what it's supposed to accomplish or, or, but it, or it's also one of those things that it's like just strictly tied to religious. It's, it's duty. I just, well, this is what I have to do. And there's a lot of religions of the world that, that, that set it up that way. And so the Hindus, they have 12 different kinds of fasts. One of them um, is, is simply talking about uh, a person neither eats nor drinks for a day and a night. Pretty simple. But you have to do that at least 29 times over the course of a year. So out of the 52 weeks of the year, at least 29 weeks, you have to you know, pick, pick one day and do this day and night fast. That's one of the things you have to do. They, all have, they also have this other one called chandaram, which is to eat on the first day, you just eat like one mouthful, and then you, you go on over the course of a month with one mouthful every, every consecutive day. So day two is two mouthfuls, day three, on and on and on. And then when you get to the end of the month, then you reverse it, and you go and you count down to back down to one mouthful of food where you started. Pretty wild. But this next one, it's just even a little crazier. This one lasts just one week. The first day, you have milk. The second day, milk curds. The third day, clarified butter. The fourth day, 
cow's urine. Fifth day, cow's dung. Sixth day, water. And the seventh day, nothing. Because you don't want to eat anything after you have consumed cow's urine and cow's dung. You would have to be incredibly committed (laughs) to go this route. You would really have to, in your mind, have made the choice to go, you know what? This is something that I have to do. This is what I must do to please my holy cow, as it is with, with the Hindus. But they have incredible, incredible discipline. This incredible value of being able to submit themselves to what they believe, what they've been told, is correct. Muslims do the same thing. Fasting is, is kind of like a rite of passage. It's, it's the gateway of their religion. It's, it's what they believe takes them to the next level, takes them deeper. And they're not wrong. It's exactly what fasting is designed to do. But for them, it's simply something that is, is about piety and it's about duty. And I believe that Jesus wants to paint a different picture for us. In the Bible, there's only one command about fasting. There's only one time in the course of a year, in the course, uh, uh, in your pattern of life, where Jesus says, all right, this is the time that I want you to fast. And we find that, that command given um, to the nation of Israel, the children of Israel, on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Now, I don't sit here claiming to know all of the details of the Day of Atonement and Yom, Yom Kippur, but, but what basically the, the, the idea was and what happened was that on this day, the high priest, the one who oversaw all of the rest of the priesthood, the one who, who told everybody what to do, God's anointed person as the spiritual leader of the nation, he would go into the temple on the Day of Atonement and he would do everything. He would do all of the work. He had absolutely no help. All of the rest of the priesthood had the day off. And he alone went in, not in his priestly garments, not in his, in his colorful flowing robes and his golden breastplate with all of the jewels for each of the tribes of Israel. No, he went in only dressed in plain clothes, just a linen ephod as a commoner, as a normal everyday man. And then he went about everything from, from burning the incense and lighting the candles to sacrificing the animals and cleaning up and he did it all himself does this sound like anything that we might be familiar with does this echo in your mind of of the god man who came in and said i am the one who who does all the work it is only through me and what i do that you can enter into right relationship with god That's what the Day of Atonement was meant to echo. Now we know that this is a great foreshadowing of Jesus, but really it's kind of a foolish notion in our minds if we're honest. It's something that is kind of incompatible with with the way that we think and the way that we feel sometimes because it's not something that we see often. I mean, how many of our leaders do we see really coming in and serving us with humility? 
How many of, uh, of us have a, have a boss that comes in and says, hey, I'll tell you what, you know, like, you guys all just take the day off and I'm going to do your work for you. How many of our bosses truly, like, serve us and care for us and minister to us? But this is the example that the high priest was supposed to set, this, this example of what Jesus was. And it was at this time where we have the one command to fast. This is when God said, all right, I want you to do, as I, as I want you to humble yourself. I want you to take time to, to deny your physical appetites, the normal cycle of life, the normal things that you do, to remove those things and to hone in on the spiritual work that's being done. It isn't about religion. It isn't about all the things that you have to do right to be right in God's eyes. It's about what he has done to make us right. This one day, the day of atonement, to appreciate the gift that was being given, to humble themselves to be able to receive it, to be sober in their understanding of their need. Now, quick poll, don't, don't, don't view this as, you know, like some kind of like, you know, spiritual um, maturity mark or, or anything. Like there's no, there's no boasting here. But just how many of you have at some point in your, in your faith in your life just simply said I think I need to fast and and you've taken steps to remove physical appetites anybody okay good number of you one of the things that you experience with that and probably what we what we know is coming why many of us may not want to take the step of fasting is there's 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 pain associated with it right I mean I, I missed breakfast and my stomach's growling right now. <laughs> and, I, and I know that, that when, when lunchtime comes around, like, I'm going to think that I'm starving to death, right? My body is going to feel like it's eating itself, you know? I, I need, I, I've got to have it, and my mind is just laser-focused, right? No matter what's going else on in your life, like, you know I need to eat. That takes preeminence in my life, Right? My body tells me this is what I need to do. This is what I must do. And so fasting is an opportunity to clarify your senses and then to redirect. It's an opportunity to remove and then to replace. And so fasting isn't just for people that are sadistic. It isn't just for people that like, you know, uh, that just want to get out there and, and go through something grueling, you know. It isn't just about like self-deprivation. Buddhist thought is very much about just removing appetites and self-deprivation. That's the point. That is not the point of fasting. That is not the point of what God wants us to do. We have this cycle, we have this season of, of what's going on, we have the soil, we have the, the purpose, we have, we're, we're growing and we're supposed to produce fruit and one of the things that we need to do is remove the, some of the branches, some of the busyness, some of the things that are existing in our life, as Pastor Eric put it, clip them away to remove them and make room for light and oxygen to get to the core to make room for God's love and for his truth, to get into our heart and to impact us and to make change. It isn't about suffering. It isn't about repentance. It's about being able to see clearly, to be able to understand what reality is. 
And so on your fridge fold and on the screens, you're going to see these sections of, of Scripture in Matthew chapter 6. Let's jump into it. Matthew 6, 16 through 18. Jesus says, And when you fast, not if, but when, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward that they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your Father, who knows what you do in private. And your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Now for years when I, when I heard this passage, what I heard was, don't ever tell anyone that you're fasting, right? That's like Christian rule number one, you know? Like when you fast, it's got to be a secret. Don't tell anybody or... You might as well just gone and, you know, like got the supersized, you know, Big Mac meal at, uh, and, and, the, and the cone and the apple, you know, apple pie and everything. You know, just you've wasted your time. Once somebody knows, you know, God won't bless you. And that's really what I heard when I, when I would process through these things. Or I heard this. Make sure you don't let anyone know that you feel like you're starving to death, you know. But I don't think that that is what Jesus is saying. Because what he's talking about here is motive. What he's talking about here is, is motive and value. This reward. See, the re- religious people, they were the people that were you know, going about their duty. And because it was simply a duty, then what they wanted everyone to know is that they were fulfilling their duty. Here I am, look at me, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I am righteous. See, here's where God's law says this is what I'm supposed to do. And look at my life, see how good I am, see how perfect I am. Let me jump on the scales for you and you'll see that, whoa, I am really, really, really good. That's what the religious people were doing. And so then they go to the other extreme in their goodness, in their purity, in their righteousness, you know. Oh, man, I'm really experiencing this fasting. Oh, this hurts so good. You know? It's like Jesus is sitting there going, you guys are so foolish. (laughs) You've missed the entire point. You're wearing sackcloth and ashes. You're putting on a show for people when inside your heart you're getting absolutely no spiritual nourishment whatsoever. You're boasting in what you've accomplished so that you'll be found worthy in the eyes of your fellow man and you have devalued what God wants to do in your heart. I think there's this disconnect sometimes before us because as much as we know that, that Christianity is about relationship and that it isn't about religion, there's this intrinsic part of who we are that, that we, we have in our minds that it's about performance. We long to relate to Christ in relationship. We long to have a a relationship with no strings attached. And yet, when we begin to do, it becomes about performance. And this is where relationship turns into religion. And fasting is meant to give us space to go deeper into our relationship. It's really, it's got another side. We can look at it from, from this perspective as well. It's about pruning, but also it's about It's about roots. It's about cultivating this soil and creating space for these roots to go down deep. 
Now, I don't think there's too many farmers in the room, but, but you, can, you can know, maybe if you remember all the way back to like fifth grade science or something, you know, when you studied the germination of a seed, and what happens is, is when, that, when the right amount of light and heat and moisture occur, then what happens is that little seed that's, that's been encapsulated and protected all of a sudden just pops open. And immediately these, these little, little tentacles start, start going down and out and growing these roots. But before you ever see anything break the surface, there's already something else that's happening underneath the surface. The roots are going down deep. They're spreading out. They're grasping for nourishment. Before you ever see like significant change and, and, and growth and fruit, what's happening is, is growing putting their roots down into, in our case, God's love. Being secure, being, being deeply rooted, being deeply secure, being, having our identity in God's love. Not in pleasing people, but in pleasing God. Not in, in being right before people, but, in, but knowing that we have been made right before God. So there's really two sides to fasting. There's the removal of the things, this pruning that are, that are blocking the nourishment that's on the surface, but then there's also this cultivating of the soil and making room for the roots to grow below the surface. What we see on the outside is a product of what's happening beneath the surface. What we see on the outside, what we see on the surface, the things that are growing is a product of what's happening underneath the surface and a lot of times I think we we just want to kind of polish ourselves and here I am look at me everything's good on the surface when on the inside down below the surface we're starving to death and it isn't because we're fasting it's because we've done something else in our lives we've replaced reality with something else we've replaced true nourishment with something else When we, when we get into this idea of roots and looking underneath the surface, I think sometimes, you know, we can kind of get scared because really what we, what we understand as Christians is that, that what we're talking about is our heart. We're talking about the motives of our heart. And we know that the Bible has a lot to say about our heart. It's need. The fact that we can't trust it. That just following our heart will lead us in circles for the rest of our lives. That our hearts are... are not true, but that God wants to purify them. The things that we see popping up in our life are not random. They are not abnormalities. They are exactly what is in our heart. When we get into situations where we feel discomfort, when we feel pain, we can't blame it on on what other people have done to bring those things out in us. We have to understand that the things that we're experiencing and the things that we're doing are an exact byproduct of the things that are going on in our heart, and our heart needs change. I grew up um, here in town since I was like seven years old, almost almost 30 years now. And one of the things that I did was uh, went to a private school over, um, over in Killarn, and uh, our school was on an old, an old dairy farm, Vofvelda Dairy Road. And so we had this huge field that we played in every day. And every once in a while, you know, like one of the kids would, would you know, like 
come in with a, with a cut or a scratch or something. Some piece of metal had just like come up out of the ground, you know, just from erosion. And, and so they, they kind of cleared all those things out and laid down a bunch of grass. And, and, and on the surface, everything looked really, really good. But then one year, what we decided to do was we decided to do an excavation and so we marked off this layer, these, this area of ground, and we'd be, we said, all right, what we're going to do is we're just going to excavate an inch at a time and process everything that we see and measure it out. And so we began digging in, and all of a sudden we began finding all of these just like crazy things. Who knows what we were digging in? It was a dairy farm at one point, you know, so um, we always made sure we washed our hands. Um, but we, we found just, I mean, we found an old pair of scissors, we found, um, you know, these rusted tin cans and, and an old little, you know, little liquor bottle, somebody's bottle of joy, you know, from 60 years before. Plastic bags, you know, it's going to be there. We, we removed it, but, you know, there's probably more that are going to be there for, you know, till the earth burns up or something. Rusty bottle caps, old, an old bit from a horse's bridle, all of these things. We kind of go, wow, look at, look at all these layers of what's going on here that are just like part of what we're experiencing. And now we're going to add our next layer. And I think sometimes when we, when we begin excavating into our hearts, when we begin digging deep into what's going on, we'd much rather just cover it up. We'd, rather, we'd much rather just back the truck up, put in another layer of topsoil, start fresh, plant some new seeds, and move on. We're great at covering things up. Sometimes we have this mentality, and if I just ignore it long enough, it'll go away, right? If I just ignore it, ignorance is bliss. Hey, I'm happy with the temporary. I don't really need substance. I'm fine. But then we find ourselves in this place of, of brokenness and being malnourished, and we realize that we have just been lying to ourselves for a lifetime. And as Christians, maybe we're the worst at this because... We misuse things like grace and authenticity sometimes. Sometimes we can just throw grace and authenticity around and just cover up. It's like little prepackaged parachutes for our failures. And, and we just sit here and go, all right, I'm just, God's grace, wonderful. But true authenticity understands that God wants to reach down into our heart and rip out roots of bitterness. He wants to reach down into our heart and, and cultivate the soil and make room for those, grow, those roots to grow and to spread out. An interesting thing about roots, what you see on the surface is usually at the very least equally imitated underneath the surface. But oftentimes, the actual number of roots are up to three times the depth of and breadth of what you see on the surface of a plant. God wants us to grow down deep into his love. This is, this is just, uh, I just want to kind of pause and refocus a little bit because I think when we start excavating our hearts, sometimes that is something that's scary. And if, if you're not scared, it's just because you don't know what's in your heart. <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to be offhand. I'm just like, that is a spiritual truth. That, that when, when we know what's in our heart, it's because God has revealed it to us and he wants to remove it. Okay? 
So when we start going about this and talking about fasting and, and, and making that room, we, we have to know that, that God wants to make us better. And I, and I believe that there is not a single person in this room that does not want to be better. There's not a single person in this room that, that, that is saying, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm completely happy with where my heart is. I'm completely happy with, with the product of my, of my actions and the consequences of my life and the things that I'm feeling. And hey, life is great. I, I don't believe that there's a single person in this room that does not recognize that they can move forward. We all want to be better. So when we start cultivating the soil, we have to start excavating and making room for our roots to grow down deep to make space for newness to be experienced. Jesus has a little bit of something to say here in Matthew chapter 9 about this newness and about fasting. <clears throat> what happens is some of the disciples of John the Baptist and some of the Pharisees come to him and they ask him this question, hey, hey Jesus, why don't your disciples fast like we do and like the Pharisees do? And Jesus replied, do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving, it in, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins." New wine is stored in new wineskins so that both are preserved. Jesus says when, when, they stop, when the disciples stop having a face-to-face -face interaction with Jesus, then they will fast. When there is distance in the relationship, then this is when the disciples will fast. When they feel far from Him, when they feel the need for him to explain something to them, when there's a potential for the tearing and for damaging of your relationship, of a faith, that is when fasting needs to come in. You ever get really hungry and you're sitting here waiting? Maybe you're at a potluck and, and it's not quite time to eat yet. Everybody's still bringing the food. And so you're like, man, I gotta have something to eat. And so you start snacking, right? The chips and the cookies, little carrot sticks and the celery, which is completely pointless because it takes more energy to chew up a piece of celery than it does to actually, like, get energy from it. But we start eating, and then, like, the time goes on, and, and we're waiting, and, we're, and we want change. We want nourishment. We want satisfaction. But, but it isn't coming yet. It isn't time, and so we just keep using the fillers. The problem is when we start going that route and we start substituting this is what Jesus is talking about, substitution. When you, when you have this tear in your jeans, and then you take, and they're an old pair of jeans, and then you take this new piece of cloth, and you put it on there, you're substituting. You're, you're putting something, it's a different thing. It's a different material. And what's going to happen is it's going to tear. But we keep eating that junk food. We keep substituting. And we begin to misuse. The appetite that was designed to be filled with something spiritual now we, we've substituted and, and we begin to misuse and so what happens is is now we, we're filled up with junk food and we start having you know these adverse reactions things like gas i think farting is one of the most i think god really laughs i think he does belly laughs in heaven i know we do it in my house like so 
My kids just crack up every time they rip one. Um, but it's just one of those things like there's this, there's this building up of pressure or, or if you don't get the pressure in, in gas, then, then what happens? You get kind of blockage, right? A little stopped up. And I think a lot of times we just walk around and we're spiritually constipated because we have just packed our lives full of junk food and we're not really getting into the nourishment that God wants for us. When we begin to grasp, when we identify this, when we begin to grasp for, for areas that we see fruit, we begin to live vicariously in, in our spiritual walk. And so we, oh, I just need to, what I need to do is I need to listen to Joel Osteen. Or, or I need to listen to, you know, Dr. Ruth. I need to listen to these people that, are, that have some kind of spiritual insight. I need to get some motivation and some inspiration and, and we begin to grasp at straws, places where we see fruit and we see hope and we see change. And all the while, Jesus is just sitting there going, I am right here. What you need is to get face to face with me. We can fill the void of our lives with spiritual commentary for others longing to hear what so-and-so said or what so-and-so wrote, instead of staying in that place of longing, instead of saying, staying in that, in that place of hunger and desperation and even starvation and saying, I am not going to be satisfied until I am satisfied by what God wants to give me in His timing. And I pray, my prayer for us is that we would be a people that are spiritually hungry for the things of God. That we would be spiritually filled by Him alone. And that we would not settle for the substitutions, for the fillers. I heard one, someone say one time, uh, the truth will set you free, but it will make you miserable first. I think there's a great amount of truth in that. Because it's miserable to realize when our motives are wrong. It hurts my pride. It is miserable to stuff ourselves with empty calories and on the other side of that just to go, I'm still starving to death. It's miserable. And I pray that we would become a people more and more that would make room for His light to shine in us by removing the filler and replacing it with things that God has told us that will produce fruit, that we would put our, re- our roots down deeper and deeper into his love and respond to it with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. In the name of Jesus, amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your grace, Lord, that we don't have to come to you and with some kind of religious piety. And Lord, I pray that you would begin this work in our hearts of the next time someone asked us what we think about fasting, that we would have an answer from experience. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts to show us the how of fasting what it is that you would desire to prune, what it is that you would desire to remove, to make space for your Holy Spirit to change our hearts. Lord, give us the boldness and give us the courage to be able to tackle excavating and diving into the deepest parts of our brokenness, Lord, so that we can experience your healing. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Ow.